The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I encourage you to turn to those near you, if there are people near you, to extend that grace and peace, or even in your mind and in your prayer right now, to extend it to someone you know needs grace and peace this day. As we prepare to be in our scripture in Acts 28, before we get there, I would like you to imagine 276 men washed up on the shore of an island that is just south of Sicily at the time of the early church. And these men are exhausted, they are half dead, they are disoriented, they are traumatized. Because for the last two weeks they have been out in the Mediterranean Sea, they have been tossed around by this violent hurricane force storm, and they have been doing everything they can just to stay alive. And now their ship has been just destroyed, and some of them have washed up on shore by floating on some of the remnants of that ship. Several of these men are prisoners. They are being transferred to Rome. And Paul is one of those prisoners. And just hours before they wash up on shore, there were guards on that ship with their weapons raised, ready to kill every single prisoner on the ship, Paul included. But the centurion in charge told them to lower their weapons and encouraged everybody to swim for their lives. So before we hear this passage, because we pick it up right here in Acts 28, the first 10 verses, I want you to just feel for a moment how traumatized they are, including Paul. How completely stripped they are. They have nothing. They have no belongings, no clothes, no food, no weapons, no ship, nothing. I'm going to pray, and we're going to listen to Scripture as we read it in Acts 28, the first 10 verses, as told by Luke, who was there. So let's pray. God, you promise. You promise to give the gift of your Holy Spirit. You promise that you want to be revealed and known and heard. You promise to lift us, to meet us, to speak to us. So we pray that in this scripture you would do that. In Christ's name, amen. Listen to God's word to you, Acts 28, verses 1 through 10. After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead. But after they had waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. 
It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honors on us, and when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Wow. Do you feel the comfort of those verses? I think of the word balm. I just want you to stop and savor the balm of what we just read. The kindness of these complete strangers to feel the warmth around that fire, to feel the hope that swelled across the island as God's healing presence was experienced, to feel the generosity when they were put on another ship and were honored and were loaded up with all these provisions as if they were family, beloved family. It's remarkable. It's what one commentator described as a resurrection scene, what happens here on Malta. After all the weight of evil, which is symbolized, last week we talked about the sea, symbolized the source of evil and chaos. After all the weight of evil that was in the sea, and then in a snake, as I'm sure you're aware, the snake and the symbolism of the snake and the evil in that, It did what it could do, just as it did with Jesus in his crucifixion, but it could not crush him. Jesus is very much alive, and that's what Luke wants us to know all through the book of Acts, and especially in this last chapter in this opening scene. As we experience this resurrection scene full of kindness and hospitality and generosity and safety. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, describes it this way, the sea and the snake have done their worst and are overcome. New creation is happening and the powers of evil cannot stop it. Once again, I want you to stop and just savor that. New creation is happening and the powers of evil cannot stop it. Savoring that not only for them, but also for us. This last week I had the chance to visit via Zoom uh, Jerry Ritchie's small group, which was wonderful, and I asked them, each one, to answer two questions. One, what is discouraging you the most right now? And the opposite, what is encouraging you right now? so I shared, we did mutual sharing, and each person got the chance to weigh in on that, what was discouraging them and what was encouraging them. And you can probably imagine some of the things that were said because they're probably things that you might say. Just the ongoing being so limited because of COVID-19 
and the way that's changed our lives and the way it's kept us from being able to see people we want to see and to be in places where we want to be and normally would be at this time of the year. Also, just the danger of the fires. People had go bags ready and not quite sure where fires would reach. Just the impact of smoky air and how that just added another layer of depression and depression being experienced among people's family members and confusion and the impact of the ongoing isolation. As far as encouragement, people talked about being connected in ways that they hadn't been before more often than they had been, sometimes with people they hadn't even talked to for a long time. But just those ways to be connected and sharing the love that they have for one another. The experiences they're having in small group and fellowship, being in scripture together, being in prayer together, having the chance to see God at work and share those stories of God's presence at work. I got a kick out of hearing uh, Pat and Debbie Brown. I asked if I could share what they, they said. They're so discouraged by listening to the news that they pretty much, especially Pat, has said, I'm just, he's a news junkie, just trying not to even watch the news anymore. He said instead he has been spending time with Rick Steves, going on vacation with Rick Steves' videos. And Debbie said what she's doing is rereading the Mitford series. She has every copy of this fictional town, Mitford, with Father Tim Cavanaugh, this very sweet series. I think this passage invites us into this same kind of exercise. I think the book of Acts invites us into this kind of exercise, the story of Jesus, being aware of how discouraged we are and yet it's freighted on the side of what encourages us. And I'm wondering if you heard it in this story, starting with this way that they are so crushed and so overwhelmed, and so stripped, and yet here they are arriving safely on another shore. Foreigners turn into family for them. The island becomes holy ground. They experience in this space, this sacrament of communion. Three days they are entertained by Publius. Those three days just are reminiscent of resurrection happening. The healing of his father, like Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. The healing of all, all the sick are being cured, just as Jesus did. The provision was such abundance, making us think of the feeding of the 5,000. Heaven and earth are coming together in this narrative. The risen spirit of Jesus is on the move, making the love of God tangible on earth as it is in heaven, just when we are convinced that evil has won the day. So just take that in and savor it. Many of you know that I had the chance to go on vacation and uh, several of us uh, worked hard to make sure we could form a little pod that was safe, um, a social bubble, if you will, and two of us, Debbie Grubbs and I, drove 14 hours up to the Northwest where a few of us gathered. And I asked her if we could listen to uh, the book 
Just Mercy audio read by Brian Stevenson while we were driving up there and back since we were going to be discussing it, several of us in the church yesterday, which we did. So Deb was game, and we listened to this book uh, for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I don't know if you know anything about Brian Stevenson, but he uh, found himself at age 21 in Harvard Law School, this black man from Delaware who'd come from Pennsylvania, and as he was in Harvard Law School, he just wondered, what in the world am I doing here? And a little ways into that program, he had the opportunity to go to Atlanta on a month internship, which gave him the opportunity to be visiting with men who were on death row. And as he was visiting with these men, he was horrified to discover how many of them were there who should not be, how many of them who had not had the money or the means to get representation, the representation they needed. So in that one month, he realized he was called into this. So in this book, he tells story after story about the lives of men and women who had truly every kind of evil thrown at them growing up. Growing up with poverty, growing up with abuse, growing up black in a very racist system, growing up with mental illness, and then their experience in the court system and in the prisons. And as a result of this, he started Equal Justice Initiative, and he tried to spend as much time as he could working particularly with people on death row. In one chapter, he tells a story about sticking around uh, after work and answered the phone after hours, which he tried not to do. And the woman on the other end was an older woman who was pleading with him to take on the case of her grandson. And she was describing him, saying he's just a little boy, 14 years old, and he was in jail for murder. So Brian is thinking to himself, how am I going to tell this woman that I cannot take on this case? I cannot take on another case. And as he was thinking about that, all of a sudden he could hear her in a whisper, and she was praying. She was praying, Lord, please help us. Lead this man and protect us from any choice that is not yours. Help me find the words, Lord. Tell me what to say, Lord. He waited till she was done praying. And he said, ma'am, I cannot take on the case of your grandson, but I will go see him, and I will see what I can do to help him. So for the remainder of the chapter, Brian tells the story about Charlie. Charlie, who is a good kid, he's doing well in school, he lives with his mom, a single parent, and her very abusive boyfriend, and one day the boyfriend comes home in a drunken rage, and he beats his mother, Charlie's mother, unconscious right before Charlie's eyes, so that she's lying on the floor. He assumes that his mother is dead, lying in a pool of blood. He's in shock. The boyfriend goes in and collapses on the bed in his drunken state, and Charlie eventually goes to the phone, which is by the bed, to call 911, and before he can even think about it, he pulls the gun out of the drawer and he shoots the boyfriend and then calls 911. They charge him with murder. They put him into the adult male prison. And this is where Brian goes the next day. And they are in a room together. They sit across from one another on a table. And Charlie is just this not even five foot tall, not even 100 pounds, 14-year-old kid who 
is shut down, doesn't say a word, no matter what Brian says, to open him up, to let him know I'm here to help you, tell me, tell me how can I help you, what can I do, no matter what Brian says, Charlie is not speaking, he is just shut down. Eventually, Brian moves from his side of the table over to the other side of the table, and he sits next to Charlie, and he keeps talking very gently, very softly. He leans in to Charlie just a little bit, keeps talking gently, until finally Charlie just puts his head on Brian's shoulder and just starts sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and outspills the horrors of what the men have done to him in that male prison for the last two nights. And Brian is so outraged that he goes immediately to the sheriff, makes sure that he's moved into a single cell and eventually into the juvenile detention facility, which is where he belongs. Several months later, Brian is speaking at a church, and he is telling the story of Charlie, and he's also talking about the plight of incarcerated children. And after he's done with his talk, this older couple comes up to him, the Jennings, and they say tell Brian that they want to help Charlie. Well, he tries to dissuade them from that, saying really that the, he doesn't want them to think that they can do anything, but they persist. So he gives them his card and he says, call me, and he doesn't expect that they will, but they do. They call him. And so he recommends that they write a letter, he will give it to Charlie, and they do. And not only that, they write a letter to Brian explaining why they feel compelled to help Charlie. This couple, they're in their 70s, church-going couple, uh, live a very simple life. Turns out they had one grandson whom they helped raise, whom they adored, who had mental problems, who committed suicide as a teenager. And they had been saving money to send this grandson to college. And now they tell Brian, we want to use this money to help Charlie. They ended up corresponding with Charlie, back and forth. And eventually they went into the juvenile detention facility and they met him. And tell Brian later that they loved him instantly. They helped him to get his GE degree in the detention center and then offered to pay for his college education. The Jennings became family to him. And when he was released from the detention center, this is the way this chapter ends, Jennings are there with his mother to welcome him home. Whew. Well, Deb and I were both crying by the end of this story. Tears are running down our face, and we reached up, turned off the audio, and just said, you know, we just need to stop and savor this healing story. The sea and the snake have done their worst and are overcome. New creation is happening, and the powers of evil cannot stop it. This resurrection scene on Malta is a balm. It's a balm. A balm for them and a balm for us. Some have taken it as an invitation to engage in snake handling and worship, just to give evidence of God's power over evil. That's happened down through the years. It happens today in some churches. But for Luke, all through the book of Acts, and especially here in his conclusion, this is evidence 
that the resurrection of Jesus has a foothold in this world that can't be shaken loose, no matter what. No matter what the powers and principalities do or don't do, new creation is happening. And so we look for it wherever we are. No matter what is coming out of evil, the father of lies, however it's being described in Scripture, we participate in it wherever we are. No matter what brood of vipers is at work in this world, we pray for it wherever we are, no matter how overwhelming the evil, and we wait for it to unfold. Kindness hospitality, generosity, mercy, wholeness, safety. Let's pray. Oh God, we do get overwhelmed with what is discouraging. We get overwhelmed by the evil we see and hear the deception, the injustice, the abuse of power, the crushing the poor and vulnerable. Oh God, let us see and experience your balm, the foothold of your new creation. Let us be your sacrament of communion, your evidence of Jesus risen, of Jesus present, and of your new creation. For we pray this in his strong and powerful name. Amen.